to Inside Sponsorship, the show that provides sponsorship professionals with advice, insights and news so they can maximise their commercial programmes and achieve best practice. There are lots of great minds working in the sponsorship space across brands, rights holders and agencies. We often see a lot of movement within the community with people moving from one rights holder to another or maybe from brand side to rights holder side or vice versa. Although it does happen, it isn't common, however, for someone to move from agency side to a brand, especially a large global brand with a wide-ranging sponsorship portfolio. Someone who has made the move very successfully from agency land to the brand side is Catherine Butterworth, who is MasterCard Australasia's Director of Sponsorship Marketing. Not only does Catherine get to manage amazing big-ticket sponsorships with rights holders such as the Australian Open, Cricket Australia and the Opera House, and work with with brand ambassadors such as Richie McCaw, Catherine and her team also get the opportunity to work on and be exposed to international properties such as the Rugby World Cup and the Grammys. The whole MasterCard business works really hard to connect with each other globally and learn from and share experiences with each other. For example, Catherine and the European-based team can share learnings and experiences around two of the Opens that MasterCard sponsor, the Australian Open and the French Open. I'm Daniel Oyston and welcome to episode 76 of Inside Sponsorship. It's amazing to have you listening into another episode and it's great to have listeners from all over the world, some of which have been in touch to say hi and that makes me super happy because that means I get to do shout outs and I've got a few here to get through. The first is Aman Aluwalia, Manager of Business Analytics at Kansas City Chiefs who wrote... Daniel, I hope you're well. I've just listened to the newest episode and I really enjoyed it. It's extremely relevant to what I'm working on in my role at the Chiefs as I'm continuing to use data and strategy to build better partnerships. Glad you liked it, Arman. Keep up the great work there at the Chiefs. Another was from Darren Riley, owner-operator of Tenacity Sports and Entertainment in New York, who wrote, I love your show. I just launched a sports marketing agency focusing on selling naming rights and your show is very helpful. We are all looking forward to the next show. Well, congrats on the new venture, Darren, and I'm excited to bring you this show as I think there's loads of great stuff in it for you. Next was Coleman McFarlane, Chairman and Event Coordinator at the Martial Arts Sparring Club of Maryland in the US. And Coleman wrote, Hi Daniel, I've been listening to Inside Sponsorship religiously <laughs> and religiously is written in capital, so he must be serious about it, for a couple of months now and it's been a godsend for me. I'm glad you were finding the show useful, Coleman. It's why we make it and we love doing it. Lastly, Jean Williams, Client Services Business Development Manager at Nielsen Sports in Cape Town, South Africa, who is a long-time listener and supporter of the show. Jean wrote, great podcast, really enjoyed the content of your last episode. When are you going to feature some African content? Thanks for the kind words, Jean, and I hope you are well and crushing it at Nielsen there. On the South African content front, that's a great idea. In fact, wherever you are in the world, please, if you have some ideas for topics or guests, then please let me know and I'll do my very best to get a show put together around it. Everyone else, keep those shout-outs coming in. You know I get sad when I don't hear from people, so help me be happy like I am for this episode and drop me a line to say hi. Let me know what you are up to in the next couple of weeks and I'll be sure to sort out a shout-out for you in the next episode. Along with Catherine, also on the show is Daniel Ferguson-Hill, Calls Commercial Manager, Australasia, who joins us to discuss his latest blog, does this sponsorship suit my marketing strategy, which looks at the important things that brands should be considering to help them sift through all of those sponsorship proposals they receive? Here's Daniel. 
Daniel Ferguson Hill. We're going to kick this off with talking about a marketing sponsorship pain point. But by the time this show goes live, you're going to be a married man. So humor us. What's the biggest pain point around organizing a wedding? Your wedding specifically. Oh, geez. Uh, let's hope none of my family and friends actually listen to this. Uh, I'm going to say dietary requirements. It amazes me that people forget that they're lactose intolerant or <laughs> <laughs> allergic to garlic uh, a week out from the wedding. Uh, it's, yeah, I've, I reckon I've had maybe four or five of those in the past couple of days. Wow. That's amazing. I would not have thought that that was it. So let's get to the topic. Businesses have lots of pain points, just like organizing a wedding maybe. Don't we all know it? Marketing has its fair share of those pain points, but if a brand is involved in or considering sponsorship, then trying to evaluate and figure out if a rights holder can help a brand with their marketing is definitely up there as a serious pain point. So not only do they have the, the day-to-day challenge of, of executing existing strategies and campaigns, but there's that you know, ever-growing need to consider new ways of reaching and engaging with a desired audience before a competitor does. Plus, audiences are consistently becoming more and more fragmented with new platforms that come about. I mean, I wouldn't have a clue what TikTok is, but I know that brands are shifting <laughs> a focus to include it. and. You know, it it usually takes place at your desk or in a meeting room with piles of proposals. But this ongoing exercise constantly requires us to ask, does this sponsorship actually suit my marketing strategy? Because simply sponsorship itself can't be the marketing strategy. And then we talk about that quite often. But instead, it needs to complement existing efforts by using different assets across various platforms to either leverage or enhance a specific message to me. A global spend of 70 billion US suggests that the growth of sponsorship as a separate marketing function isn't slowing down anytime soon. So, you think as an industry, however, we're now spending more time and resources attempting to not only justify our spend, but also find that golden mix of ROI, ROO, brand alignment, engagement, value creation, and everything in between. I mean, it's exhausting just saying it, <laughs> let alone trying to actually figure it out. We, we spend hours upon hours delving through sponsorship proposals, looking for ways to either say yes or no. And the evaluation itself of a proposal can take a ridiculous amount of time, money and resourcing. And as an example, I won't say who, but a sponsorship director I was talking to uh, a couple of weeks ago was saying that they spend four full days per calendar month and pull in five staff just to review proposals and respond accordingly. And keep in mind, that, so this, this brand is probably one of the top five or top 10 spenders in APAC and globally. So for discussion's sake, if the average sponsorship or brand manager is getting 75 grand a year, that's 60 days and $61,000 just to work out if the sponsorship proposals are actionable in, in one calendar year. It is just ridiculous. It does sound super painful and a massive time suck and, and money suck and resource suck. So, to help brands alleviate that pain, what do you think they need to consider? Well, over the past few years, we've spent a lot of time in this space helping brands fine-tune their process to sort of limit the amount of time, money, and resources spent trawling through countless documents, proposals, and packets of Panadol because of the headaches. <laughs> but without giving rights holders too much of a, a roadmap to that golden yes, there's a few things to consider that, you know, if you're trying to work out if a sponsorship proposal suits your marketing strategy or not. And, and the first one is your objectives. 
most marketers will agree, whether agency, brand, or even you, Oist, that at some point we need to acknowledge an overarching objective or a purpose yeah. in a marketing strategy. You know, best case scenario is that strategy has been re-engineered in an attempt to either solve a problem, tackle an important message, you know, and even reach a specific audience. Objectives like brand awareness, community engagement, lead generation, they're usually just stepping stones that will allow us to achieve that overall purpose. I know we bang on about it you know, in, in almost every podcast, but understanding your objective will really help you get the best out of the ROI versus ROO evaluation. I think that's definitely the first place to focus is the opportunity that's in front of you. Does it align with the objectives that you're trying to achieve overall with your marketing? So if we start there and we focus on our objectives and, and we get a tick there potentially, what's the next step? So number two is your approach to measurement. And before we can acknowledge the big shiny numbers in a proposal that are being presented as value, we need to be inherently clear on how we're actually going to measure success to start with. Uh, I think it was on the previous episode of Inside Sponsorship where Rob Mills, global CEO of Gemba and Turnstile, suggested that as an industry, we may have evolved down the wrong path in how we measure sponsorship, <laughs> given our heavy reliance on using media equivalency as its own ROI metric. Strangely, it's now broadly accepted that we can't use this, but we keep doing it. <laughs> Data acquisition, brand preference, awareness, engagement, consumption rates, there's plenty of metrics and methods to look at along the way. And look, not, not all of them are going to be relevant to, to everyone, but how we say yes to a sponsorship proposal at the beginning needs to be the same way we say yes or no to the renewal at the end. And we know those tracking and reporting, the measurement elements are probably just as much of a responsibility for the rights holder as they are for the brand. So it's a definitely a together approach and that mechanism is really aligned to your objectives we set our objectives we make sure we get a tick there we know how we're going to track and, and measure that sponsorship what's the next thing that we should be considering third one's your audience so typically as part of your marketing strategy there there's probably two to three key avatars that the team has built with the sole purpose of selling to engaging with or, or even influencing now, they might be your average customer or a, a target customer, but nonetheless, a considerable amount of effort has gone in toward working out and learning as much about them as possible. And so when you're looking at the sponsorship proposal, we need to ensure that whatever the rights holder is proposing either helps or improves our efforts in reaching and engaging with those specific avatars. Spending money on a generic audience isn't going to help anyone. Um, ask the right holders to be specific on who exactly they feel there's an alignment with or perhaps who you can reach as a direct result of their assets and audience. All right, cool. So we've got a tick against objectives. Let's just assume we're working through uh, a potential proposal and we're getting ticks and we're progressing forward. We've got a tick against our objectives. We've got a tick against the measurement. We know it's going to be aligned to a specific audience, not a generic one. Can we get into the cool stuff? Can I look at my corporate tickets now and the other fun assets I'm going to get, like <laughs> signed jerseys and things like that? Oh, you mean the stuff that sits in the, the top drawer of a desk and you go, oh, I'm supposed to give that to someone? Yeah, those things. <laughs> uh, no, look, at num number four is potential risk. And this is something that I'm going to say a lot of people will overlook initially, but it's something that is still super important when initially justifying the sponsorship spend. 
and this might be in the form of looking at previous behaviours, public image, propensity for negative media attention or even correlations to competitors. As a rugby league fan, I'm, I have every bone, every limb crossed that we have a really good <laughs> off-season this year uh, so that the brands are, you know, are helped in that regard. But, you know, the latter is a really sore spot for brands who spend money on something that their biggest competitor can ambush quite easily and indirectly. And if if you can't think of any examples, you just need to look at the ongoing battles between Hungry Jacks and McDonald's. I mean, those those guys are just ruthless towards one another. Oh, I think it's a really important point because I think it can be easy once we start to get some ticks around, yes, we'll help you achieve your objectives and we can track and measure it really closely and it's and you're going to be able to access an audience that you might otherwise find difficult or more expensive to access and everyone gets excited and there's lots of like I was joking before lots of great assets that really resonate with me and there's shiny proposals and logos and all that sort of stuff it can be easy just to skip over that step of the potential risk because every sponsorship will have some risk some of it might be really small some of it might be a large risk but you do definitely need to consider that risk before you move forward with a, a sponsorship. So we've covered off four so far. What's the last one? So the last one's probably for, for all the finance nuts uh, who are listeners and, and, and sort of execs. It's your budget. <laughs> Investment <laughs> levels are usually the most awkward part of the conversation or a proposal in terms of what to spend. Some will say a deal is you know, worth what someone's willing to pay for it. And others have you know, really unique methods to calculate cost versus value. Nonetheless, it's, it's important that before we start looking at a proposal or we go down that evaluation path, that we're actually across how much we can spend. Various sales tactics will teach rights holders to delay this as much as possible in fear of possibly pigeonholing themselves or, or perhaps providing a range depending on what package you choose. And a quick caveat to that, packaging is dead. Please stop doing it. <laughs> please, uh, please. But, but if you're a brand, don't be put off by a proposed investment level. Don't if, if there's a number in there that you're looking at, don't take that as gospel and don't let that determine whether you make a decision on a proposal. Obviously, this needs to be within reason and more often than not, the more you spend, the more value you receive. So almost take that initial number with a grain of salt. Dig through you know, the, the previous four things that we, we've spoken about, but yeah, don't get scared off on it. I've, I've looked at a couple of proposals in the last couple of months and, you know, occasionally the assets and and everything might be really, really good, but the, the investment level is just a, a big miss. So opportunities can fall by the wayside if, if we're not careful. So we're covering off objectives, measurement, the audience, the potential risk and the budget. Sounds amazing. So if brands follow your five steps, life will be perfect. <laughs> they'll be able to go out and get another coffee and they'll make the best sponsorship decisions. Is that right? Yep. That's how it's going to yep. work? Yeah, yeah. So I think I'm going to release a book and maybe a, you know a video series on all of this as well. So um, I, I might sort of turn myself an expert. So look, look out for me on the Today Show. But in all the seriousness, if people follow those steps that we've just spoken about, they'll definitely start working through their proposals more clearly and with greater confidence. So let's get back to the other big news. Apart from the honeymoon, Joe, here you're <laughs> going to the Maldives for three weeks. Any trips planned where listeners can catch up with you? I'm in, back in Sydney in a couple of days. I'm um, thinking by the time this episode goes live, we, um, the team might be sort of Melbourne, Brisbane, 
working on a couple of things in Adelaide as well. So we're, we're a bit all over the place at the moment. Excellent. Well, listeners, if you want to catch up with Daniel for a coffee, a meal, chat sponsorship, chat anything industry related, make sure you get in touch. And obviously, good luck for the big day. <laughs> Thanks very much, mate. Catherine Butterworth is Director of Sponsorship Marketing at MasterCard Australasia. And Catherine has been at MasterCard for close to three years, having started life at MasterCard as the Marketing Manager for the Australian and New Zealand markets. Before MasterCard, Catherine spent time at Tourism New Zealand, but interestingly, also spent about four and a half years working in marketing agencies. Now at MasterCard, Catherine and her team manage amazing big ticket sponsorships with rights holders such as the Australian Open, Cricket Australia and the Sydney Opera House and work with brand ambassadors such as Richie McCaw. Catherine and her team also get the opportunity to work on and be exposed to international properties such as the Rugby World Cup and the Grammys and the whole MasterCard team is committed to sharing all of their global sponsorship learnings and experiences right throughout the business. Here's Catherine to take us inside MasterCard's sponsorship portfolio. Catherine Butterworth, welcome to the show. We always ask an icebreaker question or two just to get the show started and for the listeners to get to know the guest a little bit. You work at MasterCard, so when you got your first credit card, what was the first thing you bought? Um, it was a while ago. <laughs> it would have been shoes, though. I have a lot of shoes. Um, from memory, it would have been a pair of black boots. So, yeah, that would have been my very first purchase and definitely not the last one. And how many pairs of black boots do you have now? I have three pairs of black boots. I have about 50 pairs of shoes. The girls in the audience will be nodding. The men in the audience will be shaking their head, wondering why a lady needs three pairs of what we would consider the exact same looking (laughs) shoes. Catherine, second icebreaker question. If you weren't at MasterCard, but you still had to manage a sponsorship portfolio, which one would you choose? Is there one where you've often thought, geez, there are some great ideas there that I'd love to execute? Or maybe there's one that you really admire from afar that you would just love the opportunity to work on? That's a tough question. It's a good question. Um, there is. It, it's, it's hard to choose. I would go with SAP, I think, for a few reasons. It's uh, Working at MasterCard, I work on a global portfolio, and I'm very much in the tech finance space. And so I think SAP is interesting to me because it's got that tech element. It's global. It has all those kind of similarities. So there's a sort of, sort of inherent challenge and opportunity that's the same. What I love about what they do in their sponsorship space is the way that they find that alignment between what they are as a business and a brand and what they are bringing to those sponsorships. So the way that they're using like the data and they add that data to the fan experience so the audience is getting more out of the event um, or the sport while they're watching it. And it's funny, we talk about, I spent my whole life uh, in, in sponsorship talking about sponsorship. It's all about passion points. It's all about finding those um, those passion points for the audiences we're trying to talk to. And I'm very passionate horse rider. And SAP sponsor Event Rider Masters, and they provide data on the horses and the rider performance, everything from even dressage, which would normally be quite hard to to kind of provide data on, they do, and they do um, cross-country and everything. And I love they've built an interactivity and spectators have their own judging app and they can win competitions through that and engage with the event in a whole new way. 
So I love how, how they do that. I think that's such a fantastic way of sort of work with properties. So I think uh, that'd be, if I wasn't at MasterCard, I'd be there, I think. <laughs> Very good. And yes, I'd agree. SAP definitely play to their strengths around what they can do with data. Now, Catherine, you spent maybe about four and a half years in agency land, first with TBWA and then DDB. How do you think those roles helped prepare you essentially to sit on the other side of the table? I think my agency time has helped prepare me in the sense that the key thing would be the empathy for those around the table. So I understand what's involved in delivering effective work from the agency side. And I think that help, empathy helps me understand how to get sort of the best out of every opportunity we're working with the agency with. But uh, it's also developing a solid brief and reviewing creative work with a business lens. So how creative solutions solve business problems. And in giving feedback, it's actually kind of an art, giving good feedback. Agencies are teams of really bright, hardworking people. If you aren't able to give good feedback, you're not getting the most out of them. So being able to give constructive and meaningful feedback is crucial. And I think that was probably the most um, significant asset agency experience gave me. It's a great point about the art of feedback. So now you are at MasterCard as Director of Sponsorship Marketing Australasia. What does the portfolio that you look after look like? It's a diverse one. It's really exciting, actually. The Australasian portfolio I manage includes Australian Open, which is an amazing property, the Australian men's cricket team, which is really interesting, Sydney Opera House, ambassadors like Richie McCaw. But I also uh, we have the opportunity to work across the global properties in the portfolio as well, such as recently with Rugby World Cup and Grammys. So we run activity for all of these activations, whether it's on-site and point-of-sale, consumer marketing, customer marketing, hosting programs. It's, uh, it's a really diverse portfolio. So we, um, we do a lot of interesting work. And I'm, I'm very lucky that I get to manage and work across that. It's interesting that you get to work clearly, obviously, with the local properties, but then be involved at some of those international ones as well. So I'm curious about what's been the most memorable sponsorship activation or project that you've worked on so far at MasterCard, whether it is a local one or whether it's being exposed to those international ones. I'm very lucky and privileged. I get to work across some absolutely amazing properties. But what I enjoy the most or what's most enjoyable of all the exciting things I do is the price or surprise component of it. So I'm not sure if you're familiar with this, but it's something that's a MasterCard uh, unique uh, fan moment that we deliver where we actually tap people on the shoulder if they've used the MasterCard and we give them these surprises. And when you describe it like that, you go, oh, okay, that sounds, you know, sounds lovely, but what, why is that so amazing? When we surprised someone earlier this year, She'd been watching us deliver surprises across um, the Australian Open event on social and she thought it was just a wonderful thing. But when we tapped her on the shoulder at the event and she was told that she'd been given Category 1 tickets to Rod Laver Arena, she was like in tears. She was so happy and so pleased. She'd never thought it would happen to her. It was just this amazing moment where we just took her every day and just made it so much more special. And being able to do that for someone, it's just incredible. We had... Um, we surprised some shoppers in New Zealand earlier this year as well. Uh, we brought Richie McCall with us to the shops because <laughs> we were talking about rugby. And the, just the surprise and the joy that people get out of having that kind of intense moment with something they really enjoy, whether it's rugby or tennis or any of those things, being able to make people that happy is by far the most memorable sponsorship activity that I do. 
So that's a really interesting point about the lady at the open and the surprises, and she'd clearly been watching you on social media and on TV do that. And so when she got that tap on the shoulder, she was ecstatic. She was overcome with emotion. Now, clearly you guys are going to have some systems and processes in place to ensure that you make the most out of that activation but how much are you hoping or relying on those people that you've surprised to activate their own social channels and and spread this experience and delight even further when we uh, do the price of surprises we rely we rely on them sharing on social what we want them to do is be able to share the joy of that experience so when for example we gave the woman tickets she had two tickets so she got to take one of her um friends who was with her at the event with her on that um, upgrade experience. In terms of social, it's just that we are able to sort of share that initial joy with her immediate friends and family. She chooses to share it on social. And it's that kind of moment of being able to share the authenticity and how we add value to people, people's experience that's valuable, but we don't rely on it. But that's something we really want people to do. We want people to have that so that they want to share it and people understand that they've had this more positive experience. But from a social point of view, we're very much um, putting out on like, you know, we have paid support and organic across our own channels. So let's get back to the team itself. As context for the listeners, the Australasian team at MasterCard isn't that big. So you've got a great mix of help from agencies. What's it like managing the day-to-day execution of a deal that includes a bit of normal sponsorship, but broadcast and other types of media as well? It's fun and it requires a lot of planning. To deliver our sponsorship programs, we work as an integrated team across the local and regional, the global offices, and with our agencies, of course, across the network. We pull in uh, the consumer marketers, the communication teams, the business-to-business marketing teams, the digital marketers, and, of course, the sponsorship marketers. And we always align on what we're setting out to achieve. So we always align on the brief, on those business objectives, marketing objectives, and the channels we anticipate we will use. That's always something that we sort of go in with a point of view on, but we are very clear that the agencies have that opportunity to add value and and challenge us and find the best opportunities for us to um, leverage our sponsorships. Essentially because we're communicating all the time when, when it's across writing the brief or providing project updates, which is done in daily meetings, everyone's constantly in touch. And that is critical to to be able to do the execution across so many different channels and across so many different layers of the MasterCard uh, network. We work so that our surprises are only the price of surprises for fans and that everything else is planned and communicated. (laughs) (laughs) So as a marketer myself, this one's a bit of a self-indulgent sort of curiosity question, but do you think rights holders like or find it easier dealing with somebody like you who has spent significant time in agency land? I think it's like any relationship. Like it's easier when you talk the same language if you've come from that same background. However, for me, and I, I am like absolutely self-confessed people person, it's always about relationships and the way that I work. None of our partnerships would be effective if we didn't have strong relationships between like the MasterCard team, the agency teams and the rights holders. Being able to build those relationships and have kind of challenging conversations and push each other forward is so much more important than a particular sort of background area. 
as I mentioned before, the Australasian marketing team at Mastercard, it isn't that big. So how does what you need to achieve in your local sponsorship get influence from global or head office management? Mastercard's unique, I think, because... I don't think I don't. I mean, I work at Mastercard, but I don't think there's a brand in the world that does sponsorship and understand the role it plays in the business more than Mastercard does. The reason I say that is we have a really clear global strategy around experiences matter more than things, and we understand the objectives of why we're doing what we're doing before we engage in a partnership, and then we know what those metrics of success will look like, how we're measuring that, and how we're working to achieve it. Because we're always working to deliver against the overall strategy, we are able to sort of evolve it or develop it so it's the most effective it can be in our local market. And even though every every sponsorship is different, every passion point is different, that guiding thought is the same. For us, therefore, it's not about influence because we are all aligned on that strategy and that purpose. It's actually critical and we all rely on sharing and receiving learnings across the network because that's what helps us sort of um, keep pushing further in terms of delivering the best-in-class work that we are always striving to do, the most effective work that we're always striving to do. And so it's it's everyone expects to receive from everybody else and to share with everybody else. So that's sort of a cultural way we work. I, like I love that about the sponsorship team um, in global and regional is they're always sharing things and keeping us updated. So we're always just part of that same overall team, which is what, you know, it's what, part of what I love about it. So I actually wanted to ask about learning and experiences, but you fantastically just covered it off then. So I think I might ask around how do you receive those learnings and updates and feedback from throughout the network with MasterCard? Is it emails? Is it newsletters? Is it phone hookups? Do you get together physically? How do you share those learnings and experiences to make the entire team better? Yeah, so there is a variety of ways. Uh, when there are sponsorships that are live in market, the teams who are running those will be sharing like weekly report, like sort of updates and summaries of how those, what's happening and, you know, how's it going. We also have the, you know, sponsorship wrap reports, which is a lot of formal documents that all marketers will be familiar with that get shared there by email. We have a monthly call with our regional sponsorship lead and she keeps us up to date across all the uh, current opportunities and what we can plan for and exciting developments and what's on offer. And uh, we share our reports back and we share them across different areas of the business. So um, not just the marketing teams, but actually other parts of the business can learn about it as well. So it's very much phone calls and emails and um, some very, uh, a lot of work goes into our reporting format, our sharing, the way we share. So we can make sure it's as digestible as possible. So if there's something that you're particularly interested in, so for example, I talked to um, the French team who work on Roland Garros and I saw something in their report. It was a sort of quick one-page overview, but there were some parts in there I wanted to dive into. So I shoot them a note and say, hey, I'd love if you could take me through this. And they're, like the team is so fantastic. They they find a time, we jump on a call, and we get to like really discuss and dive into what it was they did or how they did it and their challenges. So you can kind of really have a personal one-on-one if that's what you're looking for as well. So, yeah, lots of different ways. As a brand, you just mentioned about other areas of the business learning from the sponsorship sharing. So as a brand, when you sign off on a new deal or maybe it's a renewal, you're typically not 
the only one, the sponsorship team who executes all of the assets and campaigns. A lot of the time there'll be some that go out to digital teams and, and others go to media, etc. So what's your opinion on how involved those other areas of the business and teams need to be in the negotiation of a sponsorship deal, particularly if they're going to be involved in executing elements of it? It's correct that we have uh, a lot of uh, different like parts of the business who utilise or leverage our sponsorship assets. Rather than a level of involvement of particular teams or people, though, it's ensuring we've considered the learning. So because we do work with all these different parts of the business and parts of marketing to activate these properties, as we're doing that, we are sort of keeping track of what's working or what isn't or what questions we're getting or what we're not or what needs we're seeing, what opportunities we're seeing as a result of how something is being programmed. And we keep track of that and we feed that in. So there's always a lead um, on each sponsorship renewal or um, new deal and they, they reach out for those sort of learnings and like opportunities or insights. So we provide that to them. So we're basically collating from our experience with those business units or um, different team members so we can provide that to them as kind of extra context or insight for them to feed into to the deal that they're forming. MasterCard is typically well-renowned for using its sponsorship assets such as sporting talent and IP-related assets across channels like TV, outdoor and social. I'm curious about whether that's been a targeted approach, i.e. was that a decision at a point in time or has it been more of a natural evolution that just kept working so you just kept executing on it? Overall, I think everything MasterCard does in its sponsorship portfolio is inherently an evolution because we've been doing it for so long. So as we've been doing things, we've become better at using the portfolio to its full potential. And each time we're looking at rolling out our assets and putting them into market and meeting different business objectives, it's the strategy and the idea that lead us into the channel. So depending on what the business is looking for, or what the marketing teams are looking for, that informs how we're going to leverage that property. So it, it is sort of constantly reviewed and the agencies are constantly briefed to find what that best way of communicating the property is or how we're using those assets. So it's about basically, here's the idea, here's the strategy. What's the portfolio and what's the, the maximum opportunity we can leverage out of it? So targeting our audience and understanding what we're trying to achieve, that's, that's basically how we're always approaching it. But I think it, it is an evolution because we're just... Everyone around the globe at MasterCard is constantly asking those questions and constantly rolling out this program. So I think that you sort of just see that around the world. As you've just spoken about, we're seeing a more omni-channel execution to marketing plans in 2019, and that's probably going to continue for the foreseeable future. So I'm curious about what does it mean for you to be able to identify the right sponsorship assets for each platform that you're going to execute on? And you just spoke about how you brief agencies to go out there and find the right assets for you. So I want to know whether how much context and confines do you give them to provide assets within certain boundaries or is it just open slather for them to go out and seek the best assets that they can find and put them in front of you for you and the team to consider? Speaking from purely a local perspective um, for when I am reviewing the portfolio for Australasia, I am very clear in my brief around the criteria a sponsorship would need to um, address in order to be considered. I'm very clear around the different audiences we're looking to address and what objectives we're looking to meet from a business point of view and a marketing point of view. So that's there's quite a few layers of the pieces of information I provide. It doesn't necessarily mean there's just one response I'm anticipating, 
but I do expect they do quite an exhaustive um, review. We've just uh, completed one uh, just recently where they look at all the ways we could talk to that audience to drive the behaviours or harness the passion they feel for their sports or their events, their entertainment, to um, to meet those objectives that I've outlined. And often once you've started laying in a criteria of... Um, and they can be different criteria. They can be what's the, what's the hosting potential because B2B hosting is a part of what we do or what's the consumer marketing lens or, you know, we, we, we look at all the ways you can look at these different assets and then they come back, the team come back with recommendations of how different properties meet different objectives with a recommendation on that. And then I look at that and kind of consider within all of the kind of things I'm working on within the business, how that sort of lens overlays it. So it's actually quite... Um, it's quite a challenging brief, I think, um, but it's quite exhaustive and it's very robust. So there's no real, not necessarily expecting an answer. And sometimes you think you're going to get a particular response and you do or you don't. You go, oh, okay, that's really interesting. Or you get the response you were expecting, but for a totally different reason. So it's just really quite fascinating when you see um, how that works. So, yeah, it's, um, it's a big process. <laughs> So sometimes you're surprised when they come back with asset suggestions, but when they do come back with some of those recommendations and you're looking at them, are there types of assets that you just know straight off the top of your head they're going to work easily or effectively right across your whole marketing and sponsorship as in you know what you're looking for exactly and it just hits the spot or is it really more of a look, we'll know if we see it approach? It's not a know-it-when-you-see-it approach. I think because there is so much rigour that goes into the briefing and um, review process. So, I mean, we have, a, we have a global team who do those global partnerships and have been have some of them quite long, have a lot of learnings from those and understand what assets are working, what programs are working for the business and the brand. So for us, there's not the exact formula. There's some additional criteria locally that we add when we're looking at things but we know what does work and what doesn't work for us purely from having run so many marketing initiatives for so long. It's just one of those things like you just sort of got that real matrix, that framework that you can overlay. So you you do know it from overlaying that. It's 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 really quite um, rational. There's no there's no real um, re- reactive response to it. It's not emotional at all, and it's different for every brand. I'm sure every marketer out there sort of knows that there's that kind of different layers of the matrix they're looking at of what that what they're needing to achieve. And when you lay it over a property and it's different components, you go, actually, yep, that's ticking all the different boxes or it isn't and it's achieving those in different ways and and you're away. MasterCard have a lot of rigour around their sponsorships and you just mentioned that you've just gone through a very detailed review of a sponsorship. So what advice would you give to brands who want to evaluate their sponsorship deals to ensure that the assets align to not only overall brand objectives and goals, but are able to be executed well across various marketing functions? Start with your objective for your business. What are you trying to achieve? And then if there's a marketing layer to that, what that is. I would also look at the criteria, like what are you really looking for? Like what do you know from what you've done before or what do you, if you haven't done it before, what are you thinking, what's your hypothesis of what criteria would make a would make a sponsorship sing if it ticked all these boxes or it ticked half of them? Then take that and you brief that to the agency, you get the idea back. If you place the lens around objective and the criteria over the assets, that will maximise how you utilise those assets once you actually start going into market with it. 
Broadly speaking, when MasterCard sets their 2020 marketing strategy, how much of it's dependent on sponsorships and the assets you and your team can secure and obviously run in line with the marketing plan? In terms of assets, very little. Um, Our planning always starts with objectives and audience. So that's um, how I approach the year each year. I look at what we're looking to do that year and how the best way of getting to that point is. So as much as you wouldn't start a marketing strategy with which channels you're going to use, you wouldn't start with an out-of-home or a digital media approach, you go, who am I trying to talk to and what, I want, what am I hoping that they will do or what behaviour am I looking to encourage? That's the same way we look at it from a sponsorship point of view, point of view within the overall um, marketing plan. Strikes a chord with a, a marketer like me and answer like that. So, <laughs> Catherine, using sponsorship throughout the marketing mix is much easier said than done. And listening to you throughout this chat so far, I kind of get a feeling for what kind of answer I think you're going to give. But how important is it that brands nail the project management side of it all? Hugely important <laughs> and, and often underestimated. There are so many stakeholders, deliverables, deadlines, and not to mention a set budget always, that if you're not investing in your project management, you are not delivering your activity to your full potential. Excellent. I love that answer. And it's pretty much straight up and down and where exactly I thought you'd go with it. So is there anything that you've learned the hard way that shaped how you approach and structure sponsorship deals now? The hard way? No. Uh, the privilege of working at MasterCard is because I am able to work with regional and global teams who have so much experience and so much knowledge is that I'm, I have access to all the learning from the sponsorships that are run and the deals that are done. So there isn't a hard way. For me, I think the challenge is actually doing things the best way. It's like I see it as a, it's always the challenge of doing best in class and getting more opportunities in the deals that we do. So it's almost it's almost the reverse for me. Catherine, if people want to get in contact with you and find out more about MasterCard sponsorship, maybe chat to you further about your experiences and learnings, what can they do? They should reach out on LinkedIn. I talk to everyone who uh, reaches out to me on LinkedIn, so absolutely do that. And we will definitely put a link in the show notes. Catherine Butterworth, Director of Sponsorship Marketing Australasia, thank you so much for taking us inside sponsorship at MasterCard. My pleasure. Thanks for having me on the podcast. Thanks again to Catherine for finding some time in her busy schedule to share her sponsorship experience and MasterCard's approach with us all. As she said, she'd love to connect with you and keep the conversation going. So search for Catherine Butterworth on LinkedIn or head to the show notes at coresoftware.com where I've provided a link to her profile in the show notes. Also in the show notes are some links and content to some of the great sponsorship activations that Catherine and her team have been involved in, so be sure to check them out as well. That's a wrap for episode 76. Thanks again to Armand, Darren, Coleman and Jean for getting in touch and letting us know that they love the show. So now it's up to you, everyone else. Please reach out and say hi and I'll give you a shout out in episode 77. If you want to connect with me, you can do so on LinkedIn. Just search for Daniel Oyston or drop me an email at daniel at sponserve.net or on Twitter using the handle at And if you want to connect with Core Software's commercial manager for Australasia, Daniel Ferguson Hill, you can catch him on daniel.ferguson at coresoftware.com or search for him on LinkedIn as well. Don't forget, you can follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. Just search for Sponserve. Until next time, I'm Daniel Oyston. Thanks for listening to Inside Sponsorship. Thanks for listening to the show. For more episodes and to subscribe to the show, search for Inside Sponsorship on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever it is you listen to your podcasts. 
Also, for more free industry-specific resources, including blogs, ebooks, white papers, and our Insights newsletter, head to coresoftware.com. Finally, be sure to follow Core Software on Twitter and LinkedIn.